I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Evening Standard and the Borough Press present Underground, Tales for London Victoria Line Green Park by Janice Pariot Read by Adele Oni 2009 Every weekday, Elsa travelled north up the Victoria Line. At nine, she'd leave the house she shared with three flatmates on Ferndale Road and walk out in a woolly coat regardless of the time of year. It was always cold on this island. She'd walk to Brixton Tube Station, which she thought looked like an entrance to a nightclub, and make her way to the platform. Across from her, every so often, a new advert loomed large. The latest slimmest smartphone, short courses at the London College of Fashion, three-night holidays from £539, and today, a woman in a shimmery pink dress bent over, smiling at her from between her impossibly long bare legs. Wax on, wax off, the poster declared. Your favourite salon's at your fingertips. Her fingertips, thought Elsa, mostly sported bitten through nails. But she'd kicked that terrible habit. Well, almost. She stopped or changed trains along the Victoria Line, depending on where her temp agency was sending her for the day, the week, the month. Even with her literature degree earned in Warwick, it had been difficult to find something permanent. It was difficult for mostly everyone these days. She interned at a few publishing houses, hoping they'd love her and keep her, wading through the annotated Elizabeth Gaskell and books on gardening. But her time with them ended quietly and without ceremony. It also made her no money. So now she did anything. A fortnight making phone calls to patients from an NHS no-smoking service clinic, a few weeks at Oxford Circus sorting files for a man who transported art around the world, a month at Brixton Blockbuster where she stacked VHS tapes and DVDs and tried not to silently judge people for the movies they were renting. The one perk, though, was the free DVDs. She'd watch them in her room or occasionally with her flatmates, Alice, the girl from Italy, Ulla from Finland, or Eirik from Norway. Then there was the data entry job at an office in Pimlico run by three French people, two men and a woman, all tall and well-dressed and soft-spoken. She couldn't figure out why, but she'd never felt more aware of her height, short, 
and her clothes inexpensive. Worse, they spoke little English. So Elsa spent a week feeling that every time they conversed, they were talking about her. Most recently, she'd spent three weeks at a university alumni office in Pentonville, making a million photocopies and pasting stamps on envelopes carrying letters urging donations. It had been mercilessly dull. Today, she was on her way to Highbury, to an artist's studio. The day before, at the agency, she'd been apprised of her duties by Katie, the plump petite girl at the recruitment desk. She wants me to do what? What are her plans? They looked at each other in silence. For a month, Katie added helpfully. A while ago, at this, a sudden rage would have flared inside of Elsa. She hadn't spent months, no, years, studying for this. Burdening herself with a student loan, acquiescing to her parents' offerings of money to help with the rent so that she could stay here in London. Now Elsa asked briskly, How much? Fifteen an hour. With that, Elsa nodded and pocketed the spare key. And so here she was, lunch sandwich and book in hand on her way to Highbury. She was glad it would take almost half an hour to get there. Given she found a seat, she liked two journeys. Not too much of the city felt like it belonged to her. But in that carriage, in that pocket of time, somehow everything became hers. Her phone lost signal, her head quietened, and all the world narrowed to the rocking of the train, to the music on her headphones or the book she was reading. At the moment, Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. Her mother had pressed it into her hands the last time she was home. And while she wasn't sure she was enjoying it when she started, so slow, she thought, and confusing, she was beginning to lose herself in it now. The stations flashed and rumbled past. Vauxhall, Pimlico, Green Park, Oxford Circus. And she barely noticed where she was until King's Cross. She got off at the stop after, striding out, crossing the road to Highbury Fields. It was October already cold and blustery. Today wasn't the sunniest. But still, the trees shimmered with a low, clear light. The studio stood atop one of the houses on the crescent. She found it easily enough and let herself in. The place was immaculately white, with tall windows shaded by Venetian blinds and bare hardwood flooring. Everywhere hung the smell of stone dust. Katie had mentioned Maria was a sculptor, what else I suppose was the living room was taken up by Maria's work and materials, tools scattered across long tables and smaller rotating stands. She gaped at the sculptures. Gigantic headless figures with wings. The plants were everywhere. Large tropical ferns, boxes of herbs, smaller indoor leafy pots Elsa was certain her mother could name but she couldn't. On the windowsills, Rows of turgid succulents. In the corner, on the circular table, a cluster of shiny terrariums. This would take her a while. As instructed, she looked for the watering can in the kitchen and filled it carefully. She'd also been told she was welcome to make herself some tea, so when she finished, she did. She put the kettle on in the kitchenette and eventually settled with a cup and sandwich in the only armchair in the room. It was nice here, she had to admit. Definitely different from the cramped quarters she shared, where people constantly fell over each other in the kitchen, the hall, the bathrooms. 
where someone always left dirty dishes in the sink and stole her cheese or a tablespoon or two of Nutella. She was fond of her flatmates, she supposed. But in the time she'd been there, they had tended to come and go at an alarming rate. It was easier to be polite, mildly friendly, and not be too surprised if they packed up and left without saying goodbye. It might have been the warmth inside, the comfortable armchair, but when she tried reading, she found the book was making her sleepy. So she put it away and walked around inspecting Maria's work. The finished pieces stood to one side against the wall. An army of tall, dark angels. Just then her phone rang, startling her. It would probably be her mum, or one of her friends from university. But it wasn't. The number on her screen was unknown. Hello? On the other end, a terribly garbled voice. She moved to the window. Hello? Someone, a man, asking if she was Philip. Um, no. He asked for Philip again. Sorry, she said. Wrong number. Later on her way back to the station, Elsa was beset with a strange restlessness. It was dark already. The evening's now falling faster. She thought a walk might do her some good, but she didn't know the area well. Something disquieted her. She wasn't sure what or why. Wasn't she doing well? They came back to her, the words of a therapist she'd once seen for a few sessions. When were you last happy? Many times, she thought. An impulsive trip of friends to Mexico, in an old boyfriend's bed waking up next to him in the morning, watching the Black Crows perform on stage, a university trip to Scotland a few summers ago? No, she could hear Dr. Moresi say. Think of a time when you were happy by yourself. This was a struggle. Christmas with her family, perhaps? A trip to Greece with her mum? But entirely on her own? Then it would have to be India. On her solo six-month stay at a rural school in Tamil Nadu, teaching children art. It sounded like such a cliché. that she almost laughed aloud. Then her few days in Delhi in the winter, when the ruins of the city lay before her bathed in gold. Good. This is good. Dr. Moresi encouraged in her head. She hadn't known anyone in Delhi, and everyone back home was petrified about her. So unsafe! But she managed to navigate the city on her own. It was one of the few times Elsa had felt proud of herself. The station was busier now, but she managed to find a seat. Between a man in a grey suit and uncomfortable-looking pointy shoes, and a woman in a tiger-print faux fur coat, they were both staring into their phones. She'd used the metro in Delhi too. Newly opened, spiffily clean and air-conditioned, miles better than the London Underground, she told her family, laughing over the phone. But it's a hundred years old, her father had protested. She couldn't recall the names of any of the stations, but she'd liked it, sitting in the women-only compartment. There was less staring there, she'd imagined though more than a few curious glances were cast at her obvious unbelonging. It was sad that a city needed segregated carriages, she thought. She liked to imagine it as an island floating, Sappho on Lesbos. She told herself to stop being fanciful. Back to Mitchell, to London, to the rhythmic rocking of the train, 
to seats that smelled of damp and dust. The next time she was on her way to Highbury, it happened. That thing at the station. At only one station. Elsa glanced up from her book. They'd stopped. And were about to pull away. The doors having shut noisily like sluice gates. And something outside on the platform caught her eye. But then they were gone, hurtling through the darkness, swaying. Was that Green Park? Or Pimlico? She wasn't sure. Maybe she'd imagined it. Besides, it was more of a flash of something. Like a scene spliced into a film from another movie. On the way back, she was crushed in the centre, dangling by the handrail and couldn't see beyond the crowd pressing into her. A few days later, Elsa was on the tube again. She looked up when they stopped at Vauxhall, because the doors closed and then opened again to allow someone in. Everyone sat silently impatient. The same happened at Green Park, but it was empty there. At least on the stretch she could see, no one standing on the open platform. The open platform, that was it. There were no open platforms here, certainly not at any stations along this stretch of the Victoria Line. There were walls, mostly tarred in white, the red-circled sign and backlit rectangles of advertising. They were at Warren Street by now, so Elsa couldn't check. But she was certain, like the last time, that she hadn't glimpsed solid walls and benches. Maybe there had been some recent renovations, she told herself, drastic expansions. No, that seemed highly improbable. Later that evening, when she was done at the studio, Elsa met a university acquaintance at a nearby pub. A couple of pints turned to many. She left feeling a little giddy, flushed to her cheeks. It was late, and a light drizzle was falling. People rushed past her, hands deep in their pockets, sunk into their coats against the cold. By now, at this hour, in this weather, the trains were running almost empty. She swayed along, the few people in her carriage stepping out at King's Cross. A teenage couple sat in the corner, kissing. How was she so alone? She tried recalling Dr. Moresi's instructions. When were you last happy? No. When were you happy by yourself? Oh, fuck it. She leaned back, resting her head against the seat. It made her slightly nauseous, but she was tired. So tired. The weariness of the past few months swooping over her all at once like a flock of birds. When she awoke, the carriage was in darkness the train unmoving between stations. She sat up, her head woozy, and then the lights flickered back on. The couple in the corner were gone. A woman on her phone sat a few seats down across from her. How strange to be here, in an airlock, a capsule stuck in space, cut off from the world. Then the train shuddered and started. They came back to her now, her memories of India. How she wanted to return to the school where she'd volunteered. Determined to not be one of thousands who assuaged her guilt for a few months on their gap year, promised the kids they'd come back and then didn't. Next time, she'd visit a fort, any fort, and ride a camel. Which would mean Rajasthan, she'd thought happily. Of course, Tamil Nadu was way south, which meant she'd have to take a flight to Delhi, where she could stay a few days and wander the Red Fort and Humayun's tomb, the Qutub Minar and the Lotus Temple. 
she saw herself walk the streets of the old city again. I can't believe I did it all on my own. She fancied herself a brave explorer. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The next week on her way up to Highbury, Elsa decided she would look out at every stop. She hadn't slept well the night before and would have liked to catch a nap, but she was determined. She was also certain nothing would be amiss that every station would be as it always was. Honestly, she thought, she needed to get her eyes checked. Or her head. But she couldn't bear going back to see Dr. Moresi. That stuffy little office with the plastic flowers at the window, the tiny desk, the wooden chair. Then at one station, everything was different. Again. This time she saw it, clear as day. Except there was no sunlight down here, underground. Gone were the white tile walls, the benches, the advertisements, the large map of the London Underground. In their place, a wide open platform with angular pillars and potted plants. Just before the train moved on, she glanced at the sign. It read Green Park. And the next one they stopped at was Oxford Circus as usual. Elsa wanted to say something. To someone, anyone. But felt she'd lost her voice. Although it wasn't something she could inquire of people. Excuse me, did you see how that station didn't look anything like it's supposed to? Batty, as her grandmother would say, pure Batty. She hurried through her chores at the studio, not pausing for her usual cup of tea. On the train, she sat and held Cloud Atlas open in her hands, but the pages remained unturned. Around her, to her side and across, rows of faces bent over phones and books and newspapers. A child at the far end was wailing. The mother looked young and stressed and embarrassed. At King's Cross, a sea of people in, a sea of people out in waves. They travelled through the heart of the city, down south, towards the river and under it. It startled her, the thought. How did one dig under a river? Just as one digs under the sea? What if somewhere along the line there were fissures? Soon they came to Green Park. The train stopped, the doors whizzed open, and she was the only one who stepped out. It was very quiet and empty, and apart from the name of the station, everything else was changed. It smelled different, warmer somehow, and the air seemed strangely hazy. To her left, the platform continued for a bit, and then ended with a sign beyond which only authorised personnel were permitted. To her right, the platform travelled much farther away to a staircase and escalators. The floor was a cool, gleaming grey, reflecting the lights that shone from a highly vaulted ceiling. A yellow line that people weren't meant to cross ran along the edge of the platform. She glanced at the digital signboards above, but they stayed blank. Up ahead, she could see a white-faced clock, with the hands resting at half-past twelve. Had it stopped? When she'd stepped into the train at Highbury, it was about seven in the evening. But this, 
This seems so unlike London. It felt impossibly like any other city. She looked around for some sort of indication. The exit signs listed unfamiliar names. She was definitely elsewhere. But this was silly. She should just head outside and check. She walked the length of the platform to the stairs. But drawn across the top was a grill gate, locked. She turned back, now beginning to wonder how she would make it out of here, or rather back on the train to Brixton. For a while she stood behind the yellow line and waited, nothing swept past her. A slow panic crept across her chest. Was this an abandoned train station? She'd read about those. How they were closed from disuse, or a change in plan and layout. But this didn't look old or dilapidated. In fact, it was shiny new and somehow familiar. As though she'd been here before. But for now, she needed to find a way out. Who knew if the station would ever open? It wasn't the pleasantest of plans, but there seemed to be little else for her to do but hop off the platform, pick a direction, and walk along the tracks. Hopefully she'd come to a station that was open or meet someone there who could help. She began stepping down, but instead of lowering, her foot touched floor. Shaky, swaying, moving floor, flanked by seats, with a press of people sitting, standing around her. White people and brown, commuter faces she'd never seen before but knew all too well. Only on the London Underground, she thought, could someone materialise out of nowhere in a carriage and have no one notice. Where's this train headed? She asked her closest co-passenger, a tall man in a heavy grey coat. Brixton, he muttered. Well, she thought, that hadn't been too difficult. She found the seat and automatically reached for her book, but it wasn't there. She'd left it behind. Elsa went back for it the next day. At about eleven in the morning after rush hour, the train seemed slower, crawling from one station to the next. Every delay momentous. By Victoria, she was waiting impatiently by the door. One stop later, she stepped out. This time into a swell of people on the platform, rushing out or standing, waiting for their train. Like last night, the air hung hazy. The lights gleamed white and bright. She glanced at the clock. It was almost four. For a moment, she stood amidst the bustle, unsure what she should do. What if she spoke to someone? Was all this real? She walked up to a woman wearing a long red skirt, tapping into her phone. Excuse me, where am I? The woman looked up unfazed. Yellow line. And resumed messaging. If nothing else, at least Elsa was certain it wasn't the Victoria Blue. Every now and then, a beep and an announcement over the loudspeakers. A train arriving at Platform 1, another departing from Platform 2. The destination boards held unfamiliar names, most of which she couldn't pronounce, until one flashed, Kashmir Gate. That she knew. She'd once got off there to visit the Red Fort, in the north of Delhi. In her heart stirred a small panic, a small happiness. Perhaps she could make her way there again. Walk along its ramparts, sit by its fountains, wander the hundred-pillared hall. But first, she thought, she should look for her book. She traced her way back, jostled by the crowd, hoping it would still be on the bench. It was. But it had been picked up by someone with cropped hair, wearing dangly earrings and an outsized T-shirt. She was sitting cross-legged on the bench. Hi, said Elsa. I think that's mine. 
The girl glanced up. You think or are you sure? She was sure, but didn't want to seem presumptuous. My name's on the first page? I believe you. Here. The book was safely back in Elsa's hands. Fifty pages in and not a single spaceship. Sorry? Those are the only kind of books I read. He's not that kind of sci-fi writer. I figured the girl was smiling. Are you always this serious? No, said Elsa defiantly. Good. Okay, here's my train. And with a wave, she was gone. Elsa began stopping regularly at Green Park Station on her way back from the studio in the evening, when it was quiet on the yellow line, and she felt as though the whole world could be kept at bay. She couldn't do much. She read and sometimes lay on one of the benches staring at the ceiling. She should bring her old pair of rollerblades, she thought, and then laughed out loud at the ridiculousness of it all. She started coming on other days too, when she wasn't required at Islington or elsewhere. On some days, she timed it to catch the mad bustle of the evening rush. She'd sit almost unnoticed, apart from a few young men who'd cast a quick, interested glance in her direction. Before her and behind, trains came and went, spilling their insides and being refilled again. It was comforting, the steady rumble and squeak of brakes, the whooshing of doors, the clatter of footsteps. She wondered if she'd see the girl again. She wished to, even if she couldn't quite explain why. She liked her, the way she seemed to be at ease and autonomous. Maybe one day she would cut her hair that short and dye it black and wear large T-shirts and spangled earrings and be an entirely different person. Once she thought she saw the girl hopping into a carriage, but she was probably mistaken. What were the chances of crossing paths again in a place such as this? Then one evening, the girl was there, cross-legged on the bench. They smiled at each other, Elsa shyly, in happy recognition. Where are you going? the girl asked. Nowhere. Elsa liked that she didn't seem to think this a strange answer. And you? Where I always go. She said she took the train at this time almost every evening. But I like sitting here until the crowds lessen. Yes, me too. There's something about waiting in places which you're meant to leave. Elsa nodded and added, temporary places for temporary people. Yes, said the girl, that's exactly it. The next evening, the girl was carrying a small leaf plate of snacks. Here, she shoved it into Elsa's hands. What's this? Ramladoos. What? Pakodas. Oh, I don't know, deep-fried lentil balls. With grated radish and mint. Delicious. What train do you usually catch? Whichever one happens to be passing by, answered Elsa truthfully. She decided to try to tell the girl. I'm not from here, you know. Yes, I can see that. No, I mean, what? She was looking at Elsa with kindness. Even in her head, though, it sounded too mad. Nothing, really. The girl hopped off the bench. You know, it doesn't matter. Elsa said she hoped so. In return, one evening, she brought some roasted chestnuts from a farmer's market she crossed on her way to the tube station. They sat round and barely warm in the paper bag. What are these? the girl asked. Eat them quickly, before they get cold. For a while, they sat in silence, cracking the shells, slipping the chestnuts into their mouths. You really aren't from here, are you? 
Elsa shook her head. But I've been here before. Seems a lifetime ago. And you keep coming back? Now, yes. Why? Because it's easier than being anywhere else. What was it that Mitchell says? Elsa looked to the girl in some surprise. There's a line in your book. Every nowhere is somewhere. I like him, the girl agreed. He's a hopeful chap. A particularly packed train stopped before them. Barely anyone got out. In the carriage through the glass, a close press of heads and bodies. I don't feel like leaving yet. Elsa said neither did she. It's a nice evening. Should we step out? All this while, Elsa hadn't because she was afraid that while she was gone, something might happen which would make it impossible for her to return. She'd been tempted, of course, but hadn't yet gathered the courage. The girl was standing, waiting. What happened? she asked. Nothing, Elsa smiled. Would an oyster card work here? Let's find out. They walked along the platform to the stairs. The gate at the top was drawn back, open, over the loudspeaker, an announcement. Somewhere, the clank of traffic. Around them, the sound of lives. Moving. Green Park is a short story of the underground from Janice Parriott. Janice Parriott's latest novel, The Nine-Chambered Heart, is out on the 17th of May, 2018, and will be available in audiobook, hardback, and ebook. You can find the other stories in this collection from the Borough Press on Audible, Kobo, and Apple. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.